Think Red Ink Ministries presents The Words of Jesus series with Don C. Harris Hello and welcome once again to the Words of Jesus series. I'm Don Harris and uh, we're looking forward to doing this again. We've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, probably one of the most famous sermons ever preached and uh, probably the words with which most people are, well, academically or semantically familiar. But uh, unfortunately, uh, if you looked at the uh, if you stood back and looked at the church of our 20th century, um, I think that it would be pretty obvious that many of the things Jesus taught were just absolutely ignored, and uh, we just did it the way we wanted to. Well, that's unfortunate, because um, He, being our Savior, our Lord and our guide, has a certain idea for us, and certain um, characteristics that He wants to develop within us, and and unfortunately, we have uh, pretty much uh, made our own little clubs. We call them Christian. We call them church. We call them all kinds of things. But um, the, the truth is, is that our Lord Jesus didn't come to the earth to establish the church. As many people say that that's what he came to do. The church was already established on the earth. Uh, one of the first members were uh, Adam and Eve. And um, I think uh, uh, Abel was part of that church. And um, there were people that were thrown out of that church. And the reason I say that is, is because uh, uh, there, there are a lot of uh, doctrinal, perhaps theological ideas or so-called that um, try to establish on the earth exactly what is the church. And uh, there are people that are in the, in the Protestant denominations uh, are uh, real pleased with the idea that the body of Christ, so to speak, the church, so to speak, the ecclesia has replaced Israel, when in reality, um, Israel is, uh, I, I realize that there is such a country named Israel, I understand that. However, um, Israel was the name given to Jacob because he prevailed with God. And uh, Israel has always been the name of God's church. Um, the, the church is actually a descriptive term, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Uh, there have been people that have been called out from time in memoriam. Um, I guess Adam and Eve weren't called out. They were sent out, weren't they? Yes. Uh, but uh, when we live in this world of, uh, of people who care not a thing about God, um, we need to understand that we have been called out from them and called into what? We've been called into Israel. We've been called into the church. When I talk about the church, I'm not talking about a building or a denomination or even as Sunday school is so uh, prominent, uh, prominently teaching uh, that you know the church is not the building, it's the people. Okay, I, I understand that. What people? <laughs> That's what I want to know. And, uh, and come to find out that there are many people that are in the church that uh, don't fit your denominational guidelines. They don't fit uh, what you think a Christian ought to be. Or they, 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 don't, they wouldn't be welcome in your church, but they're in His. Um, we will, as time goes by, uh, deal with a concept where Jesus looked at a bunch of people who did everything that they do. All the good things that they do, they do them in His name. He said, I never knew you. 
And he looked at another group of people that didn't even know who he was and told them to enter into the joy of the Lord. So uh, you might as well get prepared for uh, the realization that things aren't the way we thought they should be. Um, I said in an earlier broadcast that if you had to find an overarching theme for the Sermon on the Mount, it is just that. Things are not the way you think they are. Um, one of the biggest examples of this that I think Jesus ever gave us was the, the uh, parable of the rich man and Lazarus. He said, uh, here's a, a fellow you know, that laid at the gate full of sores and I mean, dogs came and licked his sores. A guy you would not invite home with you. You would not bring him to your table. Uh, he would not be your friend. He would not be your acquaintance or your companion. Or you, know, you would want nothing to do with him. And I'm telling you that he is on his way to the kingdom of God. Now this fellow over here, this, this fellow that has all the money and the resources and, and such, now uh, you need to realize that there will come a time when he this fellow, this prominent fellow, there will come a time when he will ask this man for something cool to drink. It is not the way you think it is. Things are different there than they are here. And uh, it's the overarching thing of a theme of almost everything Jesus said. There was uh, uh, two particular themes, I believe, that uh, in the... Um, in the Sermon on the Mount that you should be aware of. One of them is, as I said, that Jesus was saying things are not like you think they are. Uh, you have a certain idea of reality, a certain idea of church, a certain idea of salvation, uh, and your particular religion, your faith, your denomination, your blah, 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 blah. But the truth is that, it, that you're not even getting close. That's why I'm here. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. That's why I came. You're not even getting close. Uh, matter of fact, you're getting worse, and we need to bring a stop to this. This is why the, the prophet, um, the last prophet that stood on two feet on this, on this uh, uh, earth, this terra firma, was John the Baptist. Jesus said there wasn't a greater prophet that ever was born of a woman. And uh, his message was, time to change, guys. Everything's changing. Uh, Jesus is the, 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 the two main messages that you receive from uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount. One is, is things aren't like you think they are. Uh, and number two is, is what things that are and things that you've lived by all of your life, they all have to change. Now that's, a, you know, your boss shows up at work for the employee meeting and says something like that. You're just wondering, well, where are we going from here? I just got to where I can do my job well. I just uh, quit smoking, quit drinking, quit cussing, quit running with women that chew. You know, I'm just getting this church thing down pat. I threw away all my Levi's. I don't have anything but slacks left. I don't even wear T-shirts anymore, and I got a, I got a short haircut. I thought I was... <laughs> I thought, you can tell the kind of churches I went to, can't you? But, you know, you come to this point where you think, you know, I'm just getting this all figured out, and you're telling me everything's going to change? Essentially, yeah. Everything has to change. We have to repent. We have to change. And, uh, and things are not only like you thought they are, but uh, they are uh, not going to continue as they always have. Things are, are going to change. We're going to talk about that now. 
A matter of fact, um, we're in, in um, I guess this is the 19th chapter of our little book, and uh, this is under the title, The Righteousness of the Kingdom and the Law. Um, I love my little book, but sometimes the, the chapter titles are a bit, eh, I don't know, flighty, airy, ethereal? <laughs> I don't know. I guess what I'm telling you is that sometimes I just don't understand what they're trying to say. Uh, in this particular one, you hear Jesus say, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. Now, you remember in an earlier program, we talked about the fact that the transfiguration was a, was a picture. It was a, it was a symbol of, of the things that were about to change. And it was that you went to the prophets and the law for guidance, and those are disappearing, and from now on, is my son that you're going to listen to. The prophecy was uh, given to Moses that I am going to raise up a prophet, number one, a prophet like unto you, human, and a prophet like unto me. This is, uh, this is God himself speaking. And uh, we have these, uh, these promises of prophets that Jesus is going to fulfill when he comes, being prophesied in Moses' day, and uh, one of the criteria, one of the caveats that he added to the end of this prophecy was, and you will do what this prophet says. And if you don't do what this prophet says, it will be required of you. I'm not messing around anymore. This is essentially what he says. That's, the Her- that's in the Harris translation. You have to look for that one. But I'm not messing around with you folks anymore. There was a time, the Bible says, God winked at the ignorance of men, but now commands all men everywhere to repentance. And the only thing that has really changed, the only significant thing that has changed is the messenger that he sent here was none other than his son, and he was murdered for that message. So things are changing. And and if you think uh, God was exacting and cruel and um, and overreacted to sin in the Old Testament, you wait and see what happens uh, at the end of time when uh, he shows you just how much he is tired of this as well. Um, all right, so here we say, think not that I am come to destroy the law. Now, if, if you're wondering, did Jesus do away with the law? Here I have a verse for you. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. If you think that Jesus lived in such a way as to make the law unnecessary, I have a verse for you. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. Uh, there's a hundred other reasons, a hundred other, other ideas about um, how Jesus handles the law and where the law fits into the life of a 20th century Christian. Well, here's something that we do know. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. Now, Jesus could have said, I didn't come to destroy the law. (laughs) And we would have read it and ignored it, just like we do with all the rest of everything he says. But I I want you to notice that he says, don't even think that. You know what he's saying is, this is not worthy of consideration. This idea that you have that perhaps the law is changing, perhaps the law is is changing, it's a bit askew from what it used to be, perhaps it... No, no, no. Don't even think that. Don't even think it. Now, 
you know, you want to sit and discuss whether or not certain commandments have passed away, that whether the Sabbath has passed away, or that we're no longer under the law, and these kind of things. And I believe that, and we'll cover that, and I'll, I'll explain to you that I don't think that people who live in the Spirit are under the law. Anybody who doesn't live in the Spirit, and that's a lot of us, uh, is under the law, because the law hasn't passed away. But I, knew, I think it's interesting that he says, don't even think that. Not dis- don't discuss it, don't study it, don't read it. Don't even think it. it, it the, there is an, uh, an air or a, a note of impossibility in his words here. That's just, it's unmistakable. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Now, it is pretty obvious and he is pretty adamant that this is exactly what he has in mind to do. And that is to fulfill the law, not destroy it. To the point that he he adds to this, whosoever shall break one of these, the least commandments. You want to take a minute or two and just figure out which is the least commandment? Which is the least commandment? Let me think now. Which commandment, if we break it, does the least amount of damage? Which commandment, if we break it, um, uh, disappoints our God more so than perhaps another, or less so than perhaps another one? Uh, You can sit and, and rank murder and adultery and theft and all these things and try to figure out which is the worst commandment, but it's pretty easy to find out what's the least commandment. As a matter of fact, when I put this question to people, I usually get one of two answers, one of which is the Sabbath day, uh, because, you know, really, what difference does it make if you keep the Sabbath? doesn't hurt anybody if you work on Saturday. That's their attitude. Uh, and the other one is, thou shalt not covet. Um, I'll, I'll be glad to talk about these things. We talk about them all the time when we do different types of Bible studies, and there's, you should be more familiar with the law than that. But... Um, uh, it really doesn't matter which commandment you think is least. Let's just, let's just say that the least commandment uh, is, is the Sabbath day. Uh, because, you know, it can be argued that the Sabbath day uh, really does the least amount of damage to the world uh, than, uh, than any of the other ones. It certainly doesn't cause your neighbor any harm or cost or, or grief. Um, so, He's saying that if you break that commandment, that commandment, the least commandment, we've called this the least one, perhaps arbitrarily, but we've called it that anyway, and I think it's good for this argument. If you break that commandment, then you you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven um, for, for those who break it and for those who teach men so. It's very dangerous. I, heard, I, I saw a prominent preacher on television recent well recently i don't know could have been a year ago um that spent you know an hour plus talking to people and telling them how you essentially you don't have to keep the sabbath anymore now there here's a man that is actively pursuing an idea of breaking one of god's commandments he didn't keep it and he was teaching men not to keep it 
Well, I expect that man to be out in front of my place in the kingdom of God and uh, listening to the backup alarm where he is uh, stopping to get garbage cans. This guy is going to be the least in the kingdom of God. The least in the kingdom of God. Jesus takes the law very seriously. You'll never see him being flippant about it. You'll never see him discounting one law over another. As a matter of fact, when he was asked one time, which is the greatest commandment, he would not choose among the ten. He would not do it. He went back and found the scripture that said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, and the second is likened to it. You love your neighbor as yourself. Neither one of those commandments are in the ten. And then he goes on to say that, that on these two commandments hang all the ten commandments. That's where all the commandments, the law of the prophets, everything hangs on this, on these two. So um, he takes the commandments very, very seriously. Um, and he says, but anybody who shall do, here's your action again, here's your works again. Anybody who shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness, and this is what we're going to start talking about now, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is very, very clear and very, very plain that unri the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you grew up in a kind of church like I did, um, you understood that righteousness and holiness were pretty much the same thing. That if a person was righteous, he was indeed sinless. Well, this is an incorrect idea about righteousness because um, it's very easy to be unrighteous. Uh, it's very easy to keep the law of God. It is easy to live without sin. It is not easy to live righteously. Let me explain what I mean. A lot of people, when you know, we talk about sin, and I say, well, I haven't sinned today. <laughs> and they say, what? How can you say that? You haven't sinned. I, the Bible says you're a liar if you say that. No, it doesn't. It doesn't say that at all. I haven't sinned today. I didn't sin last week. I don't know if I sinned last month. As a matter of fact, I'm having a hard time now thinking about when it was last that I did sin. I don't understand people say you have to sin every day. I don't get that. The Bible says that sin is a transgression against the law. Well, maybe you did sin every day. Maybe you do kill somebody every day. I don't know. I don't. Maybe you do commit adultery every day. I don't. So, I, I mean, I can't speak for you, but I can certainly speak for me. I don't sin. I don't sin. Now, people are going to say, well, the Bible says you're a liar. No, the Bible says if a man says, I have no sin, I've never sinned, it, then you're a liar. The truth's not in you. And I think that it would really take a fool to say something like that, that he doesn't, he's never sinned. But uh, listen, as a child of God, you're not allowed to sin. Matter of fact, the Bible says, you know how we can tell the difference? between a Christian and a non-Christian, between a believer and a non-believer, between God's people and the world. you know how we tell the difference? God's people don't sin. The world's people do sin. Do you know the Bible says that? 
Did you know the Bible says, He that is born of God doth not commit sin? For his seed, Christ's seed, remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he's born of God. How do we know that we've passed from death unto life? Because we love the brethren. How do we know that we've been born again? Because we keep his commandments. Friend, if you're keeping his commandments, you're not sinning. Now, there are people who play around with the idea, and we're going to talk about it because it's part of the um, Sermon on the Mount, and it'll be coming up soon. <laughs> there are people who, uh, who teach that Jesus said that you know every thought that is not a pure thought is a sin. And uh, there, nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, if we get into the subject of sin, and I make the comment that uh, I didn't sin today, they say, you didn't have an impure thought? Where does it say, thou shalt not have an impure thought? Where does it say that? Where is that uh, the law of God carved in stone somewhere? Thou shalt not think impure thoughts. No, it's not there. Uh, thinking an impure thought is not a sin. You know where this comes from? It's a derivative of this faith-only salvation. How can that be? Because it's that, if you think about it, it's as bad as doing it thing. It's, it's uh, that, that thing about, you know, what, you know, what you do doesn't matter. It's what you believe. Well, you know, if, so if you think about sin, then you've committed it. But I didn't do anything. You don't have to do anything. It's not works, brother. It's, uh, it's faith, or in this case, it's lack of faith, or you know, it's, it's just a convoluted mess that nobody's ever going to be able to step over this. And you will never know if your life pleases the Lord or not because you, you're always in sin. Well, you don't have to live there. You don't have to do that. Now, am I telling you that, that I don't engage in stupid behavior? Why, no, of course not. I do that all the time. But that's not sin. You tell them, are you trying to tell me that that uh, that you don't sin, and and I and I say, yeah, right, exactly, I don't. So what am I trying to do? Deceive you to believe in that I don't do anything that's not risky, that's not you know not uh, or, or uh, yeah not well thought out. Do you think that I might uh, snap back with an answer that I probably shouldn't have done? Do you think that I don't make mistakes in in social orders and in social situations? Oh, sure I do. And, you know, think you don't get mad because somebody cuts you off on the highway? You know, well, yes, but how are these known as sins? Comes from uh, this doctrine, this idea, this, this pseudo-theology that anything short of perfection is sin. And I'm talking about the way the world defines perfection, not the way the King James Bible does it. Anything short of being perfect is sin. The Bible says, be perfect as God is perfect. Yeah, but you can't take a 20th century definition of the word perfect and superimpose it onto a, onto a 17th century English. You can't do that. We're supposed to be complete as God is complete. We're, not the, we're supposed to be whole and entire and wanting nothing, as Paul says. See, that's being complete. That's being perfect. But people think that anything short of absolute perfection in every way, anything short of what God himself would do if he was in, in, wearing your clothes right now, if you don't do what he did would do, then what you're doing is sinning. No, no, sorry, you can't, you can't just arbitrarily come up with a rule like that. Sure, I do things that are wrong. Sure, I... I, I make silly mistakes and, like I say, engage in perhaps 
stupid behavior, but it doesn't mean I'm sinning against my God. And we, just, we, don't, we don't need that. Well, what do you need that for? I mean, to not only now that you're yeah, uh, engaged in stupid behavior, but now you think you've displeased God. And the other thing that happens is, is people go to God and ask forgiveness for stupid behavior. Um, we go to God and ask, us, ask Him to forgive us for treating our neighbor bad. Why? Because you've sinned against God. No, you haven't. You sinned against your neighbor. Go over there and ask Him. Ask her to forgive you. That's the one you sinned against. You think you're just getting off easy. You know, I treat my neighbor like crap, and then I go and I ask God to forgive me? You know, that, none of this stuff makes any sense until you realize that there's such a thing as sinning against your fellow man. There's such a thing as sinning against yourself, the Bible says. It says men that, that, uh, that mess around with, with sexual impurity. You're sinning against yourself. You're sinning against your own flesh. You can, sin against, you can sin against Christ. You can sin against the Spirit of God. You can sin against good common sense. You can sin against the government. You can sin against your wife or your husband. But you see, these aren't things you go to God to get forgiveness for. You go to the person you sinned against. That's just a cop-out. I'm afraid, I'm afraid we're just trying to make these, these horrible lives we live down here a little easier to live, I guess. But um, we need to understand what sin is. This is why we should, we should feel no compunction, no concern, no worry over the fact that the law has not passed away. The law hasn't passed away, but it doesn't affect me. I live by the Spirit. Paul says a person who lives in the Spirit of God is no longer under the law. He's not, is he under uh, any uh, 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 is is he is he under any uh, compulsion to 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 do the right thing and to treat his brother well and to not lie to his friend and to not steal from from his well if you stole from him you'd be breaking one of God's commandments but uh, to not sin against your neighbor of course you're you're compelled to do that you're compelled to uh, to do the right thing but. And people who live in the Spirit have to deal with those things constantly. But you're not breaking the Ten Commandments. So stop telling people that you're a sinner. Unless you are. But if you are, stop it. Stop sinning against God. I mean, if, 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 you're, a, if you're a thief, you better stop being a thief because you're going to answer to God for this. Time's getting by. Will you do something? I want you to uh, write to me. I would love to hear from you. Don at thinkredink.com. Uh, if you heard some things here that you want explanation on, we have all kinds of materials at thinkredink.com. If you see something you want, write. You can write to me, Don, or you can write to info at thinkredink.com. We'll, we'll be sure that you get what you're asking for. If you want any of the books I've written, they're all available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Books of Me and all those kind of things on the internet. So, all right. Uh, we're going to see you next time. Uh, until then, think red ink. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Don C. Harris of Think Red Ink Ministries. Email don at thinkredink.com 
That's thinkredink.com. Join us again for the next episode in the Words of Jesus series.